Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Daily Objective. It's just me and Daniel today. Razzie's off traveling the world. Well, well, I don't mean I don't mean just you in the bad way, but just um, you know, normally you're behind the scenes, and you know, Razzie is away. Razzie is off gallivanting around the world, so ARC UK is left in our hands. And so what we're going to be talking about today is an interview that was done, I think it was just yesterday or in the last 48 hours, between Douglas Murray and Benjamin Netanyahu. Um, This is kind of impressive and kind of um, that I guess Douglas Murray got this interview. In a sense, he's the natural choice, which maybe we'll talk about a little bit more. Um, So we're going to talk about our general impressions of it, and then we're going to go a bit more in depth through the interview and say what we thought about it. Um, But let's just start that way then. So Daniel, what was your general impression of the interview did you like it not like it what was good what was bad uh i mean the thing with bb is he never he always like talks nice he always like uh he i mean that, that's why i put it in the title his rhetoric is oftentimes pretty good but the biggest problem with him is he never actually acts on it uh although even in this interview i could see i could see a couple of like where his rhetoric was even not sufficient enough i guess for us um what else i could say uh i mean i think there were a couple of things missed that could have been talked about but at the end of the day it was like a half hour interview so i think they covered a surprising amount of stuff um but what did you think so i was generally impressed like you were and i get i was also impressed in his abilities as a communicator uh, and that maybe that shouldn't be impressive or surprising in some way because he's definitely a veteran politician by this point um but i i guess what impressed me about it is given his skills in it comparing him to british leaders of the last let's say 10 years or so all of whom well, a lot of whom are relatively recent politicians, and even the ones who have who have been politicians for decades actually haven't been very good. So, I didn't typically like David Cameron's communication style, even though maybe I'd have to say he's kind of knows what he's doing. Theresa May, I thought, was terrible, absolutely terrible. Liz Truss was dreadful. Um, Johnson wasn't has a, Liz Truss's rhetoric at least good. Well, she no, but she might have been good. Um, rhetorically, but what I mean when I say, I mean when I'm talking about as a communicator, I mean his ability. So I thought he, Netanyahu came across in this very calm. I thought he dealt with the questions, even some of the critical ones, which we'll talk about um, very competently. Kind And um, I thought he communicated sort of control and strength and so on and so forth. So if I were an Israeli citizen, there might be all kinds of reasons why I wouldn't want him in office. But actually, as someone at the helm, I think he he kind of exudes that he knows what he's doing. Whereas I think a lot of these British prime ministers didn't do that. Um, so I don't think Theresa May did. I don't think trusted. Johnson was a kind of good communicator in a way, in that he got people to like him. But it, but it was, you know, it was very surface level communications. And Rishi Sunak also is terrible. So I, I was impressed on that level. Um, and yeah. it does, as I said, yeah, go yeah. On. I, I think I understand what you mean now. Like this ability to like clearly present your ideas. Uh, I think it is very important in politicians. That's one problem I have right now in uh, Slovakia specifically. We have like uh, presidential elections and the guy I'm probably going to vote for whenever I listen to him, I have no idea what he's talking about. Like uh, Mm -hmm. he goes everywhere. He doesn't really answer any questions. Uh, It makes it really hard to support him, but it's almost like I don't have a choice because there's no one really else like that comes even close. But yeah, seeing a 
especially a politician who, you know, can take a question, can answer a question, uh, can clearly like tell you, you know, how he feels about it. It's, uh, yeah, it's really rare to see. And it's not surprising because, you know, the more people you, annihilate, uh, if you don't answer any question, you know, no one can get angry at you. And that's a really something you want for politicians or that politicians want. So, yeah. And well, and I think what was impressive as well was that he gave across the impression, even on things which I think we'll dig into and criticize him on, just tonally, he gave the impression of being certain in his answer, right? Even when I think he was being kind of evasive. So that was impressive. And I was also impressed, I guess, by Douglas Murray's handling of it, because when I saw that this was being hosted by Talk TV, I was my immediate impression was this is going to be a puff piece. This is going to be really softball questions. Now, it wasn't exactly a combative or a hostile interview, which is probably a good thing because you'd probably get more, more stuff out of him if you strike the middle line, which is what I think Murray did. But he opened it straight away asking about Israel's failures. And right at the end, um, really did ask him the direct question, basically, do you think you'll be regarded as a failure? That wasn't the literal word he used, but that was basically what he asked him. And that does take some guts. Now, it's not as hostile as some, you know, one of Netanyahu's real critics on the left is going to, is how they would do the interview. But I was, I was broadly impressed with Netanyahu himself and with Douglas Murray. Um, so those, those are my general impressions going in. Um, anything else before we sort of dive in? No, I think we can move, move on to the specific points. Sure. Uh, do you want to start so, or should I? Uh, you, well, you've got the list of the of kind of itemized points. So let's introduce something for me, and then we'll discuss it a bit. Sure. So at the start, uh, yeah, especially when talking about failures, uh, Netanyahu talked about uh, how Israel has to apply more military pressure, both to basically be able to uh, completely root out and destroy Hamas. But another thing he said is uh, anytime Israel does supply military pressure it also allows them to negotiate for hostages which uh yeah it's still it's still interesting to see it like that's uh that's a like a main point that is always brought up is the hostages which you know we already discussed it it's really unfortunate that hostages were taken and that you know even some of them have already died and sadly even by israel um uh by killed by idf basically uh but uh, yeah i think here is the first time or like the first point you can see uh netanyahu's kind of how he split like you cannot really have everything you cannot be aggressive be you know going for the military pressure but also trying to negotiate for hostages and i, and I think i saw in the news that uh some talks about a potential ceasefire and more host more hostage release uh, is actively negotiated so you already see this kind of like he's trying you know trying to have his cake and eat it too trying to you know both destroy hamas yet negotiate with them yes and what's disappointing or is bad about netanyahu is i've never read his book but according to the people who have he's actually much better on those on those kind of points he understands you can't actually negotiate with terrorists about this kind of stuff and yet then when he's in his leadership positions he contradicts that um so and it and the reason why it's even worse is if he were just ignorant or confused about that point 
then it would still be bad because he's making a bad decision. But if you know better and then you do the bad thing, it's it compounds how bad it is, right? So yeah, he was definitely bad on that. And he and the general points where I thought he were he was evasive was when he was being asked about responsibility. And that's one of the first things that Murray asks, and it's also one of the last things that he asks. And Netanyahu kind of um, addresses the question, but also waves it away at the same time, because he says clearly there were failings, um, which is good to recognize. You want that from your leader, but it's also kind of, I think, the bare minimum at this point. It would be ridiculous if he said otherwise. Um, and he said that he didn't want to comment more than that until there was an investigation or you know, a committee proceeding after the war. And Douglas Murray kind of pushed him on it a little bit and said, what do you have? You must have some idea in mind of what went wrong. And he said, yes, I do, but I don't want to kind of um, preempt what any further investigations are going to say. Now, maybe he has to say that because they're in the midst of combat. And if he were to you know, really start dissecting the flaws in the Israeli military at this point, that maybe he just can't do that. And maybe that's fair enough. But at the same time, I thought it was a bit opportunistic because he gets to deflect the criticism from himself a little bit, right? Uh, and so then at the end, when Douglas Murray brings it back up, um, he phrases it in the context of legacy. He asked Netanyahu, how do you think you're going to be judged by history? And that was again where I thought that he Netanyahu wasn't so impressive. He gave the, a generally right kind of answer in that he stressed, look, this isn't about me. This is about doing the right job for Israel. I guess that's the right thing to say. But he was a bit subjective about it. He kind of said, well, it's just going to depend on who writes the history, which isn't, I don't think is the right approach to take at all. Um, and he was similar and he was similarly evasive, really, about his responsibility for it there. Um did you did you feel the same way about at the end when he brings up legacy? So one thing I remembered is uh yeah, legacy was brought up and I think he said something among, among the lines of I don't care about my legacy. Yeah. Uh which can be taken both way. Uh, like I kind of like it. Like I kind of like the idea, you know, I'll just do what is necessary and I don't care about what will people write about me afterwards. Uh, but it can also mean like, uh, yeah, this whole, whole idea, like I, I, I can see the idea of like not taking responsibility yet. If you are in active war, yeah, that it, you, it's hard to like have, you know, for example, elections, it's hard to pick new leaders. It's hard to like change these things during an active combat. Uh, but yeah, I, so I, I mean, what I'd say about it is I think the prevailing wisdom amongst politicians is that what you always need to do is you need to exude confidence and stability, right? And I think he basically did that. Uh, more stability than confidence, but I certainly wouldn't say he was unconfident in the interview. Um, I think that was probably the kind of thing that informed his response. But whilst humility isn't something that you typically hear praised by objectivists, um, I think a certain degree of humility in politicians can be a good thing. And actually maybe more than humility, it would be authenticity. So times where I've, on the rare occasion where you hear a politician really accept that they've done something wrong, and and you, they don't seem evasive. I actually think they come off really well. And I think it also helps in terms of public opinion, which is one of the number one things they care about, right? Um, and so if he said, look, I think I'm gonna, my legacy is going to be judged really harshly by this. Um, I think it's going to overshadow a lot of what I've done um, in my previous time in office. But whilst I failed, and I admit that I failed, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to fight really, really hard for Israel. 
and I'm going to make it up to Israel. And we're not. And so if he did something like that, I actually think that would be much better. Um, and I don't think that would convey weakness. I think that would convey responsibility. Now, I might be wrong. I'm not like I'm not one of these people that gets paid a lot to inform governments how to communicate. But I think that would have been better than the answer he gave. Yeah, there's do, definitely, do you think so? yeah, the whole idea you have to think about the sort of public opinion and being a politician, it, it, it's like, uh, it's an interesting job. And uh, recently I've been thinking about like, what should we really expect from politician? Uh, and what like, what should the politicians really represent? Should they represent their own ideas? Should they represent the ideas of people who elected them? Should they try to represent all of nation, even the people who didn't elect them? Uh, I think it's uh, it's, it's going to be one of the questions for the philosophy forum for ARC UK Platinum members. So everyone who thinks about the role of politicians should definitely join that. Uh, but what, was, what I was going to say is, so one thing he said, he, he said, we will take responsibility or some, something among those lines. We will take responsibility after the war, after Hamas is crushed. Uh, and then he also said, but there's definitely like months uh, at least of fighting. And what I'm worried about, are we ever going to get this? Uh, are, are they ever going to take this responsibility? Is there ever going to be a time for it? One thing that I just thought of could be interesting is if after October 7th or sometime after it, maybe not right after, he would say, uh, you know, I will resign after the war is ended. Something like, you know, we are at war. Now is not really time for elections or for trying to find a new leader. Uh, I failed. Uh, I didn't, def you know, I, I failed to prevent October 7th from happening. I will take responsibility by resigning after, but now it's time to like crush a mass and really like go in. That could be something, and I'm wondering how the public would take it, uh, but that could be something interesting to see uh, from a politician. Yes, it's, it's one of these things, there's a double-edged sword, I think, because I often think that politicians can be more decisive and impressive if they say, if they put a date on when they're going to go. Because then, then they don't have this kind of worry about how I'm going to manipulate public opinion. They can do be more forthright in what they want to do. However, at the same time, I think part of the reason why they worry about it, and perhaps legitimately, is they end up becoming a bit of a lame duck for the rest of their time, right? Um, they lose a little bit of their media pull, um, and they lose a bit of their influence, and that and people start looking to the other people in their cabinet for who's going to replace them, and they become a bit more interested in that. So, I I, I kind of agree with you, but I feel kind of mixed about it. Um, but yeah, so, but basically I thought these were the weakest points of the interview. It didn't, it wasn't disastrous, but I thought that's where it could have gone better. Um, anything else to say, or should we move on to the next point? Uh, I think we can move on to the next point. Uh, do you have something or should I continue? Um, so I guess where I thought he was impressive, I don't know whether this is chronologically the next point. Um, but he was good, I guess, in um, understanding the ne the necessity of military force. So when he and he was good on Iran as well. He was particularly good about that um, because Western leaders in general are are, are very bad on Iran. Um, and so what he kind of said was that we all recognize that the Iranian proxies are waging war on their behalf, basically, and that's really good. 
um, because far too often governments are, are worried about saying that they're worried about, in a sense, offending Iran or the fallout from doing that. Um, but that he was forthrightly saying that was very good and that he was he was talking a lot about the Iranian nuclear program and the threat that that represents. And he wasn't just say, um he was couching it in terms of being proactive about it. Um, yeah, I, I think he, and, one, one thing he said is we have to act against Iran and regime change. Uh, I have it written here, regime change required, but I'm not sure what exactly was the context, if he just suggested it or if he straight up said it. But uh, I know he even went as far as to say that a regime change in Iran has to happen. Like the current regime cannot, you cannot yeah. really have peace as long as the uh, uh, Iran ex I, exists as it exists. Yeah. And at, at the same time, I could understand someone hearing us praise him for that and say, well, this is the bare minimum. <laughs> but at the same time, a lot of leaders actually are failing uh, to communicate the bare minimum in recognizing who the enemy is and what's need, what needs to be done about them. And, well, and, and Israel... And, and it's not Israel that can really do anything about, uh, about Iran. It has to be the United States who need to, you know, step up their game. I mean, we're going to talk about the reality show. Another one, another red line has been crossed and is anything going to happen? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I suppose that was another bit where maybe he was slightly less convincing because Douglas Murray, when they're talking about Iran, he basically asks, um, so are you going to do this by like, who do you have supporting you in doing this? And he, and he's basically asking, do you think the US would support you in doing this? And I think Netanyahu actually says no, but I'll do it by myself. Now, I don't have, I guess, a good enough estimation of Israeli military strength in my mind as to whether they could convincingly do that by themselves. But at the same time, I guess also it's it's impressive that he's saying that. He was sort of, I guess, recognizing that he probably needs to bring people with him in doing this. But at the but, you know, I think he has to communicate. Look, this is the right thing to do, and I'll do it no matter what. So I I think that was also a strength of the interview. I thought he was good at good on he was good on Iran, and he was good about that. This is going to be um, there has to be a military solution to this. He did bring up at one point when they were talking about Hezbollah that um, diplomatic means were an option. But I think that was, I wasn't convinced by that. He seemed very, I think, I thought he was pretty clear that military solution is going to be what's required to that as well. Yeah, I, I definitely want to quickly talk about Hezbollah and Lebanon, uh, but just quickly. So I was thinking about like the way he could de deal with Iran and it, it sort of de depends because I know that like have been nuclear deals with Iran that have been uh, not really, uh, I, I don't know, what, what, but is it currently, if there is like a, deal that iran cannot uh uh basically research nuclear weapons or produce them uh i'm wondering if that could be one way where israel could get, get sympathy if let's say they just uh attacked like the the whatever you research in nuclear weapons and such and uh Mm -hmm. if they could use some kind of deal that was made with Iran beforehand that as a justification for it, that could be, yeah, because I, I cannot really see Israel leading like a straight up full on war uh, with Iran. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, should we just do the super chat since we're actually in the last uh, 10, 10 let, let me just cover Hezbollah because I'm not sure how okay. much time we'll have after that and then we'll cover the super chat. Sure. Uh, so something he said, so Douglas Murray asked him, what about Hezbollah? And 
he or, or what about war in Lebanon? And I think uh, Netanyahu said something like he wants to he he's leaving the Lebanon war up to Hezbollah. Uh like it's on them what's gonna happen, which is crazy to see, uh, crazy to hear because we've talked about in the past that Hezbollah was supposed to actually take part in October seven attacks, but didn't because uh, they were scared off after U.S. pretty much pledged full on support to Israel. Uh, but yeah. they attacked like the day after, at least somewhat. Uh, so yeah, and, that and was. Yeah, sorry, go on, go on. And sorry. he also mentioned how they are exchanging blows with Hezbollah. I, I, I mean, what, what is this? This kind of reminded me of the phony war uh, during the Second World War. I'm not sure if you heard about it. Yeah, yeah, it was basically when France uh, was already at war with Germany, uh, and they shared the border, but they didn't they barely like attacked at all and, yeah and it's this sort of yeah not recognizing like you are already at war there's nothing like like what what is he waiting for until hezbollah like goes stronger yeah. or i guess yeah i guess maybe i should recognize that's a more mixed part of the interview because he does recognize at least as i'm recalling it that there needs to be a kind of that Actually, no, what he said was they will take military action if that's what's required. And that was why he brought up the possibility of doing it diplomatically. Um, and then he was talking about, well, look, we were being, we were good when there was just one Hezbollah tent on the border, we were going to be tough with it. And, uh, you know, and since um, there's actually been the outbreak of skirmishes, we've been tough with them still. Um, Wait, was that how you took it? The way I took it, that tent was that. They were discussing if they're gonna attack even one tent. Uh, maybe I took it completely differently. Well, I think I think he was saying, "Look, there was what just one tent. I there was a minor threat, and we were taking that very seriously. So oh. we're gonna take Hezbollah very seriously overall." That was how I understood him. Um, but yeah, I there there was a bit of hedging in his conversation, like the idea that of even bringing up diplomatic solutions really. Um, not only are they going to have to destroy Hamas, but whether they do it now or later, they're going to have to destroy Hezbollah as well. And they're not going to get the uh, Lebanon's government doing that di through diplomatic means. So, I th yeah, that was also a weakness in the interview. But, um, sh okay, should we do... Chat? Yeah. So, uh, we've got $2 from Robert Nasir, who asks, if you could meet up, what would you say to Bibi? What would you say to Netanyahu, Daniel? Uh, something that wasn't covered uh, during the interview was the International Court of Justice. And I think just to have the question there, uh, it might be interesting. Something like, why did you even send people to the International Court of Justice? Uh, yeah. I'd, I'd, yeah, I would be interested to hear his response to that. I think I would also, given what people seem to be saying about his book, I would want to, I would want to maybe find a quote from that and say, why have you contradicted this? Like, why, like, why do you not practice what you've preached? Um, I think that's probably what I would say to him. Um, maybe there are better things we could say, but that's probably what comes to mind. Uh, then we also have two dollars from Stephen Harper and one dollar from Bonnie. Thank you so much, Bonnie. Then two dollars from Frank Grail, who asks, "Would Hamas get world sympathy if it surrendered?" Um, what do you think about that, Daniel? Do you think they'd get sympathy? Well, what would surrender mean? Uh, would the lead, basically the leaders of Hamas, come to Israel uh, out of their hidings in, uh, I'm not sure if it's Turkey right now. That was the last time I checked. Would they actually come to Israel and completely like, 
lay down arms and surrender and like un unconditional surrender basically uh if that happened i it would be really uh hard for like israel to pretty much do anything else but i guess that's all they would want anyway uh yeah i th it, i think it would be interesting to uh just quickly it would be interesting to see like hamas trying to use that as a hedge to retain some sort of control in gaza or some sort of negotiation but i i honestly i i i, I would be so surprised if it happened because i one thing we haven't talked about unfortunately is the palestinian people itself and how even netanyahu refuses to acknowledge that it is the Palestinian people. It's not just Hamas. And I'm wondering if Hamas really backed down as much. I'm wondering if even the Palestinian people would, uh, or maybe the lower members of Hamas would just stop fighting just because the leadership said so. Yeah, it, something that was notable in the interview, in the interview was that Douglas Murray, he said, your war on Hamas. He didn't say your war on Gaza. And that was interesting because I've not heard actually Douglas Murray's commentary on culpability of Palestinian civilians. Um, so I don't know what his, I, that might be a legitimate expression of his views that it's a war on Hamas, not on, not on Gazans. But I, I wonder whether that in a sense, he was told to say that by Netanyahu's team basically, uh, because that's the whole uh, manner in which they're fighting the the case in the ICJ, right? So if, if Douglas Murray were to phrase it otherwise, that would be a problem. So um, that occurred to me. As to whether they would get sympathy, um, I don't know whether Hamas would get sympathy. Maybe they would, but I think probably inevitably it would be there would be a way. It would be found a way to be used as a criticism of Israel by Israel by Israel's critics. Um, probably it would be like if Israel insisted then on. Um, the security presence for Gaza or something like that, or something that Netanyahu did bring up in the interview, which is basically rooting out anti-Semitism in the education system. And he voiced some criticism of UNRWA, I should say, so that was good as well. Um, basically, if Hamas surrendered, I think people would say, look, Israel's overreacting again. Haven't they got what they want? Why are they continuing um, being punitive in some way to the Gazan population? That's what I expect would happen. So I don't know whether Hamas would get sympathy, but I think uh, I think inevitably it wouldn't work in Israel's favor because almost nothing will. Um, then we have 10 euros from Christian Klein, who says, according to a soldier at Caroline Glick, they are not really fighting in the north, only holding the line. The soldier was not happy at all, wanted more offensive. I haven't actually been following, except just sporadically, um, Israeli operations against Hezbollah. So that could well be true. Well, the um, way at least uh, Benjamin Netanyahu uh, described it is uh, they are just exchanging blows. Uh, so yeah. from what I understand, it's just whenever Hezbollah attacks, they retaliate somewhat. But uh, yeah, as I said, there's at least now there is no plans for like a full-on war in Lebanon. Yeah, yeah. Okie doke. Um we should probably wrap up. Um, we could probably actually do a whole other episode just talking about the interview since we took we only addressed a few points. Yeah, Any I think we didn't final really impressions? cover like the uh, later half. So, uh -oh. <laughs> but any but, final impressions before we go? Uh, as always, Netanyahu speaks pretty well, uh, but he never yeah. actually achieves. Uh, I mean, he even talked about uh, one thing. He, uh, he mentioned we should hold him. Uh, to it in the future he he 
apparently he opposed Israel pulling out of Gaza in uh what was it 2005 i believe yeah uh and now his goal is to retake it and occupy it so let's see if he although probably by the time israel pulls off again he won't be in office so he can say whatever he wants as long as he's not in power yeah um yeah exactly okay we've got more to say but we're gonna have to go because we need to set up the reality show everyone should come join us there we're going to be talking about the um, strike on the American soldiers, the government response and all that kind of stuff. So that'll be starting in just a minute. We'll see you all there.